Hello again. This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. September is National Preparedness Month. National Preparedness Month started in 2004, and the goal is to educate and empower Americans to prepare for and respond to all types of emergencies, including natural disasters and potential terrorist attacks. Of course, here in Louisiana, our preparedness campaign is Get a Game Plan, and we encourage you to finalize your emergency plans before we face a crisis. Coming up, we will speak with GOSEP's Preparedness Section Chief, Ruby Douglas, about what you can do to make sure you, your family, and your business is ready for our next emergency. Speaking of emergencies, we face a somewhat unique situation here in Louisiana, and that involves drought conditions and severe heat. There is currently a statewide burn ban in effect, and joining us now by phone is Ashley Rodriguez, Public Affairs Director with the Louisiana State Fire Marshal's Office. Ashley, let's jump right in on this topic. How dangerous are the fire conditions across the region right now? Right. So, as you mentioned, this has been an extreme situation for quite some time, and it's just remaining the same. That's why we're in this burn ban. We're talking record drought situation. We're talking really unique atmospheric um, details that were being educated by the weather service experts that combine together, not only make it dangerous for the people here in Louisiana, but for our first responders. And that is why this burn ban is in place to try to limit things happening that most of us wouldn't normally consider a fire hazard. And then, of course, certainly keeping our fire service members out of those situations and certainly out at the same time of this terrible heat that we've been experiencing. In the areas that were dealing with this the most, how strained were the resources at times? Well, truly, most of our fire service in Louisiana is volunteer. So you already have a limited amount of manpower and trucks and equipment for departments that aren't really well-funded from their communities. On top of that, volunteerism has been down over the past several years. So you have less of what you already had less of. So take that coupled with an increase, not only in the number of brush fires called, but then the extreme growth of these to become wildfires with thousands, tens of thousands of acres being burned. It was far beyond the capability of what our fire service has ever seen and could ever experience in the staffing and the situations that they had today. So having to, ha- to reach out to all of the resources that were reached out to was absolutely necessary. And they're still here today with active wildfires that they're trying to control and put down, which is difficult because our conditions remain extreme, both from a drought front, a heat front, and from an atmospheric front. And I think it's important for the public to understand there's a lot of thought that goes into when things like a burn ban or, you know, even curfews and everything after other emergencies, when those things have to be put into effect. What are some of the details of the burn ban and and why is it important to have something like that in place? I know you talked about the strain resources, but are there factors maybe the public doesn't really uh, fully understand when they when they hear about these things being put in place? Absolutely. The first trigger is the fire service. When the fire service tells us we're nervous. We don't know that we're going to be able to keep this up. We're worried. We're not going to be able to respond. And then more people 
and properties will be threatened. When they say we need a burn ban because of these things, that's when it generally gets triggered. In this situation, we knew what the weather predictions were going to be, and we had the fire service saying, hey, it's not happening yet, but we're worried it's going to. Can we please do this? So that's the first trigger is the fire service and their comfort and safety. Two is, in fact, the weather. So we all know that we've been hearing from a couple of places across the state, hey, we've had rain, we've had a little bit of showers here and there, there's some water in the ditch today. But the reality is, when we talk to the weather service, it's not just about the grass. It's not about how brown or green it is. It's not about how long it holds water. Uh, it, it's it's more to do actually with the atmosphere and the the sort of heaviness of the air we're used to in Louisiana having an extra amount of humidity all the time. So that's helpful. It keeps the air heavier and it prevents, you know, the element of oxygen and other parts of the air that feed fire. Where the situation changed for us was when the atmosphere changed to the point where that humidity was gone, wind was increased, and there was just an overall difference in the air that was making the fire behave in a different way than our fire service was used to seeing and controlling. So it became a literal flame fire danger for our fire service. And that's, of course, going to also be something that the public doesn't even realize. And where we certainly had to get into some more extreme, you know, recommended restrictions on things like grilling and barbecuing is the reality is what we're used to is you open up that grill and the flame that's in there might stoke up a little bit when you turn your meat over. But in the kind of conditions that we were looking at relative to the air, you were going to see a very large flame come beyond what you've seen before that could put you in danger. It could then take the embers from that flame and carry onto the air, which is no longer as heavy as it used to be. And then that ember can live 20 feet further than it would have before landing in that grass. That's brown that you didn't think was going to be a factor. Next thing you know, your backyard's on fire and because it's so brown, it's spreading super quick. And then you don't have control over a situation that the fire department now has to come out to and maybe be able to get to it before it gets to your home or your neighbor's home. So it was just a very scary trickle effect type of situation. We have improved slightly scenarios as it pertains to the atmosphere. We haven't seen those red flag warning days. But the problem is the drought. We're looking at another week of the drought monitor saying that majority of our state is in one of the worst drought sectors that it can be. So that means that even though you may have seen an hour of rain on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, it has done nothing to make up for the 30 days before that where there was none. So we are still hearing from fire departments in some of the places that you're talking about, those rural areas that don't have the greatest coverage. And even if they did, that folks who are just conducting their normal, you know, large scale mowing activities are running into issues where some normal function of that equipment is creating a spark that is then lighting their entire field on fire before they even know it. And the fire department is having to rush out and try to put that out before it gets out of control beyond that person's property. So these things are still happening. And that is why when we have these weekly conversations with the weather service, with ag and forestry to determine what's best practice here for this burn ban, that's why the decision has been made again to, to stay the course, to have a full statewide burn ban and to continue to recommend to people while yes, you can do outdoor cooking, we'd recommend that you don't. But if you're going to, to have some of those safety precautions that we've talked about, making sure that that equipment is meant to cook with, we don't want to see people putting sticks and branches and brush into their grills to burn them. 
We'd also like to see a water source there and it needs to be on a flame resistant surface like concrete. And then of course, those who are mowing and doing hay operations and all that stuff, everything is still, you can do it, but please be mindful of the fire hazard that is out there. If you can hold off, please keep holding off. If not, make sure you have these, these safety measures in place and that you've got something not only for your own safety, but for the property. And that's beyond that as well. Um, it's just something people don't realize. And really, we find this with fire in general. Unfortunately, we are on a scene today of a, a very tragic three-person fatality home fire. There's no smoke alarms here. We tell people all the time, this is so sad. It happened to someone else. But do understand this can happen to you. And one of the best things you can do is to have a smoke alarm to alert you. So what we're talking about is, yes, you may be hearing about these wildfires and they're not in your backyard. and You can't see them. But they do affect all of us. They're affecting our fire service who are going out to help. And they also, we've seen it ourselves, affected our air quality with the smoke from those coming into our neighborhoods. So just because you're not being threatened today by that wildfire, just because you're not seeing as dry conditions as someone else across the state does not mean it cannot be you tomorrow. And so that is why we still have this burn ban in place. And that is why we're asking everyone to continue to be patient and cooperate with it. As these conditions are reviewed, uh, I know me and you have talked about those, you know, the burn bans and some of the procedural things will be looked at and, and adjusted, correct? That's correct. And that conversation does happen with Ag and Forestry and with the Weather Service, especially the Weather Service, because they really are the drivers at this point of what we're looking at as it pertains to the conditions that our fire service will be dealing with. Certainly, we've been talking to the fire service and asking about their their call volumes, their manpower, their comfort and safety levels. But at this point, we need an idea of what we're looking at for a week going forward. It would be not very helpful if we say today, okay, everything's looking good today, but we didn't take into consideration that the weather service says next week, we're going to be seeing some more of those red flag warning situations. And then we've got people who have been holding off from doing their outdoor burning for now almost a month. Oh, it is more than a month now who have this monstrous pile who now want to go and set that pile. So you're going to have an increased amount of brush piles already out there that then can be in a, a, a very concerning situation. Um, with the drought conditions still in place, with a fire service that isn't ready for it. So all of these things go into play, and these are the kind of conversations on a weekly basis that we've been having with ag and forestry folks, as well as weather service, to get a good sort of five-day, seven-day, ten-day gauge as to what is best practice, not only for the citizens, but for our fire service. And the best place for the public to get updates on the burn ban, are there any websites or social media accounts they should actively be following? Yes, absolutely. So uh, us here at the Fire Marshal's Office, we've got our social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's L-A-O-S as in Sam, F as in Frank, M as in Mary. And then on Twitter, it is L-A Fire Marshal. The Weather Service has been gracious enough to share our posts, as you guys have as well, and so has the Department of Ag and Forestry. We also, when there is a change, a significant change, have this pushed out to the media, so you'll be able to check it out on their actual radio stations, newspapers, websites, TV broadcasts, uh, everywhere that the media publicizes their information these days, they'll have it as well. And then we'll have that on our website, lasfm.org. So we are definitely doing all we can to make sure that that information is updated and available to you. All we need the public to do is to make sure that when they have that question, hey, is the burn ban still in effect? Actually go and be proactive and look to see if it is. All right. Last thing, Taking a look at the tremendous response, I know at one point uh, over the past couple of weeks, California was being hit by a tropical storm, and we had 
you know, all types of aerial wildfire assets flying all over Louisiana, helping put out wildfires. Crazy situation, but Twilight Zone. <laughs> how 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 important was that coordination, and and what type of lessons have we learned? Will this be beneficial going forward? Oh, absolutely. So let's start first with, unfortunately, but fortunately, we are experts in disaster response. So while this was a different type of disaster, our response protocol was exactly the same. When we knew we needed the help, we called who we needed, they came, we had everything in place, and it was really, really awesome to see all of those partners come into play. And what was really critical was that these partners had the expertise. So they came with the stuff that they needed and with the people that they needed, with the equipment that they had and the knowledge. And that was where it really turned the tide for us. And so when we had situations where you had a fire that could have gotten out of control to become one of the next major wildfires, folks were on the on site with everything they needed to continue it quickly and that was the real game changer i would say certainly the lessons learned here for us is we always thought we'd never have to deal with this and now we know we do so now we already started engaging with some of these partners and some of these you know educational folks across the country to get training here for our firefighters who will more than likely see this again and to get more grants and to look into more opportunities to get them outfitted with the right kind of equipment like brush trucks and the right kind of PPE because our firefighters, they've got structural type firefighting equipment, that heavy bunker gear that we see. That is not what you do or use when you're dealing with a with a wildfire. So we need to have them properly equipped, properly trained and ready and confident to be able to protect their communities from this type of disaster. So really the learning has been really advantageous in having these experts here. And when they've had different shifts uh, change over, we've had folks sit down with those experts, those federal experts, and have short classes to teach some of the basics. We've also been able to really utilize that expertise to educate the public on the difference between a structure fire and a wildfire. So it's really been great to have these partnerships. That's definitely one Definitely number one, the learning is gaining more partnerships and that that phone call Rolodex to be able to call right away. And number two, knowing what we need to have in hand, knowing what we need, what we need to wear and what we need to know. And that is definitely where we're already moving forward on today. All right. I think that sums it up. And and obviously, you know, everyone here in the state is thankful for our firefighters and, and all these teams, you know, going out and kind of, I mean, they're really putting their lives on the line in some cases. So, uh it's great to see that support and uh, to know we have it out there. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Now moving on to our second interview, we are joined by Ruby Douglas, the Preparedness Section Chief for GOSEP. A lot of people may not realize how much recovery is still going on along the coast here in Louisiana. From southwest Louisiana, because of Hurricanes Laura and Delta, across the state to areas like Lafourche and Terrebonne due to Hurricane Ida. Ruby, if you could, talk to us about how that changes preparedness here in Louisiana. Well, I think that's really how we need to start. I mean, oftentimes we have great folks that actually understand the climate of preparedness and getting their emergency kits together. But when the landscape of Louisiana is changed by catastrophic impact for disasters, that changes everything we know about the landscape of that community. Housing was a number one priority before those disasters impacted uh, our coast. And that's still relative today because we've got folks 
in our state that are relatively living paycheck to paycheck, but also they may be renters. And so we need to be looking at preparedness in a different lens by looking if we had to relocate, do you have plans and do you have opportunities to actually align yourself to go where resources are? Because it's going to take a little while for that housing stock to return. And a lot of times when when they are making plans, like someone obviously can't stay in an RV trailer if you have a, a major hurricane heading to Louisiana. Does that mean people need to look at these things now before we face any type of potential threat? Absolutely. I mean, we see this all across not just our state, but also globally and nationwide. Uh, We see folks having to be impacted by incidents like even the uh, wildfires in uh, Hawaii. And so when we look at those things, we have to look at if I have to relocate, do I have the resources I need? But also, what does my insurance policy provide? Uh, Do I need to be looking at uh, making sure my school records for my kids are in place so I can get them back to a routine. So when I'm looking at preparedness these days, it's more than just bottled water and tuna fish. We need to be looking at those policies. And if we had to leave with nothing but the shirts on our backs, how could we actually uh, be footprinted where we're at, where we have those resources? readily available. Okay, and we're speaking with Ruby Douglas, the section chief, uh, preparedness section chief for GOSEP. September is preparedness month, so we're uh, talking about a lot of different topics here. Now, going into what we face here in Louisiana, there's been a very unique situation over the past several weeks. We've had a pretty severe drought situation in Louisiana. At one point, we were the most drought-impacted area of the country, and because of that and the heat that we faced this summer, there was a major outbreak of wildfires over the past couple of weeks. How does that factor into the uh, the, the preparedness plans for the state and, and how we address those things? Well, I think it also, because I'll just tell you, before the wildfires, this heat that we've actually experienced in Louisiana this year has been uh, unbelievable, anything that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And so I think it tells our folks that we need to be looking at what we need to do to make sure that we stay hydrated. Uh, because even going out to mow your yard or even checking your mail can be exhausting with this heat condition. So I think it also helps us be good homeowners and stewards and neighbors too, because, you know, different drought, needling casting, and those different debris may also cause issues to ignite fires too. So I think it's a a good approach for us to kind of look at what causal factors that can actually escalate and elevate uh, an incident, but also how we can actually just be prepared around our homes, our neighborhoods, and our community. I think something you brought up earlier, uh, taking a look at the wildfire situation in Hawaii, and then taking a look at some of the wildfire situations we've had here in the state uh, over the late summer, People didn't have a lot of time to react. You know, you talked about the importance of being able to kind of grab a few things and go. Uh, Talk to us about that. Like, what do people need to have? What are some of those key items that people need to kind of keep in stock? I think that that's a a trigger point. I mean, for me, and as you know, uh, know, being at GoStep, we are considered those uh, frontline field staff that have to be there to manage an incident. So I think we need to be practical about things like that. So uh, oftentimes I get rushed in the morning, so I actually have my medicine a week week or two weeks supply, one at the office and one in my bag. Uh, I think that that's important, making sure that you have either your electronic medical records updated, 
where you can easily access them remotely from anywhere. I think that's uh, huge and critical. A lot of us may have families that live in other parts of the state and even providing some kind of support where, hey, look, if I had to evacuate to North Louisiana, I know I could stay with my Aunt Jane and, and then I, she has uh, some of my materials in my emergency supply kit there. I think we have to be strategic uh, because, you know, you never know when an incident is going to occur. It, we're, we're a little bit accustomed to hurricanes and we got very good about forecasting events. But when I look at all these other incidents that we've had globally, we have to think as a part of if I had to leave without there, do I have my medicine? Do I have my records? Do I have my children's records? Uh, do I have them electronically? Those are some things that I would definitely encourage your listeners to kind of look at to be very strategic about making sure that they have what they need if they had to relocate. You know, one of the things our preparedness campaign has always been called get a game plan. And, and a lot of times people associate us and GOSEP and, and, you know, what our agency does, they associate that with tropical threats, with hurricanes, storms, flooding, those type things. And those are all big factors, like no doubt. But with the, the wildfires and everything else, you know, we stress staying prepared year-round because you never know, uh, you know, you could have a hazmat event at a plant or, or, or on a railway, you know, those type things, or on an interstate system. So anything could could force you out of your home, you know, in a moment's notice or whatever. So these are all, you know, important lessons to learn. As as we talk about this, think about our, our website and our social media accounts. It's getagameplan.org. Check out those accounts and uh, – and make sure that you and your family are doing what you need to do uh, to kind of prepare for for anything we may face. Finally, kind of taking a look at preparedness overall. If someone's maybe new to Louisiana, maybe they've lived in an area that that really didn't have to kind of factor these things in quite as much. If they're looking at their preparedness plans overall, it may seem kind of uh, you know too large of a task to tackle sometimes. But what are some simple things? people can do to kind of initially start that process? Well, I, I definitely think they need to kind of connect with their local emergency managers for their parish because they have websites and alert tools that are very good about notifying folks about weather and road closures. And to me, that's a simple thing for somebody integrating. Um, but you know, as well as I do, you know, we, de- we don't need to know when it's going to rain because there's oftentimes there's uh, rain that can cause flash flooding. And so it needs to be aware of getting out there in the neighborhood to actually meet with neighbors to kind of learn some of those things about the field. I encourage them to go to our website because that gives you some checklists. It also provides you road closures and other information that will help you prepare your family and to make decisions for if you need to evacuate or if you need to kind of take a different route coming into the work these days. I also think we need to be looking at this because even the hazards that Louisiana is accustomed to, we need to be taking an all-hazard approach, even for cybersecurity and and those kinds of things, too, because, you know, having a little bit of cash on you, I know most people kind of go into the convenience of that, but when I remember losing my phone and it has all my information and all my easy access, and so you need to kind of be looking if you, if, if you didn't have access do you know those numbers or do you have key numbers with you or do you have ability to access things that you may need? So I think taking a practical approach, we talk about get a game plan and sometimes it's a strategic chess game of making sure that you have the tools immediately accessible so you can make sure that you and your family stay safe. 
you kind of hit on the last thing, and that's uh, the preparedness month campaign this year, kind of directed by FEMA, is called Ready One Two Three, and a lot of it deals with, you know, how would you deal with things like power outages if you have, uh, you know, elderly loved ones or maybe young children at home. How would a power outage impact you? Those type things. How how important is that for people to factor in? You know, I think we're living in a society of very much convenience, and I've just grown accustomed because losing power is, uh, you know, a convenience and a luxury at the same time. So making sure you have those devices that are charged. But we do have folks that are actually on medical durable equipment. I would definitely be contacting insurance company and those providers to make sure that you have other means to be able to access them if you don't don't have them readily available or you had to leave the house and let's just say your your house was destroyed. So those are the key things to make sure that you have access to the things to make sure that you stay safe and healthy. Uh, I think it's also important to understand what your kids may need because often they're very vulnerable. They usually strive to how the adults in their life take care, but we've got to make sure that they have uh you know, creature comforts as well, maybe their favorite blanket, those kinds of things. I would actually encourage them to be a part of the planning process too, because, you know, this is the world that we're living in as, as weather changes, as things come, whether they're severe weather, whether tornadoes or hurricanes or even wildfires, we need to be prepared and looking at this from a all hazard perspective to make sure that our families and ourselves are taken care of. Great. So there's a lot of resources out there. We keep mentioning getagameplan.org. That's just one. A lot of parishes have uh, social media accounts and websites and everything that kind of do the same thing uh, at their level. You can even learn things by looking at resources from other states, uh, especially states here along the Gulf Coast. You know, there's a lot of information out there uh, to kind of encourage people to uh, stay ready, uh, finalize those game plans, and make sure you have everything you need. Uh, before you face any type of emergency. So, Ruby, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, thank you for highlighting these things as we uh, continue with Preparedness Month. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank our guests for joining us, Ruby Douglas from GOSEP and Ashley Rodrig from the State Fire Marshal's Office. Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned. You can find more preparedness information at getagameplan.org. We also want to thank producer Troy Perez and the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at donatelifela.org. They also have a great podcast titled The Gifted Life Podcast. You can find out more on most of the topics we talked about today by following GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, thanks for joining us. Stay safe. We'll have a new episode out soon. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.